My name is Matt. The Old Testament reading is found in Proverbs 4, 4 through 7 in the NIV. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all of your heart. Keep my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Nikki, and I, the New Testament reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, 22-25. From the message, it says, Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Your, life is not like your, your new life is not like your old life. Your old birth came from mortal sperm. Your new birth comes from God's living word. Just think, a life conceived by, the, by God himself. That's why the prophet said, The old life is a grass life. Its beauty as short-lived as wildflowers. Grass dries up, flowers droop. God's word goes on and on forever. This is the word that conceived the new life in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Bobby. Please stand for the gospel reading found in John 4, verses 16 through 19. Jesus told her, go and bring your husband. The woman answered, I don't have a husband. That's right, Jesus replied, you're telling the truth. You don't have a husband. You've already been married five times, and the man you're now living with isn't your husband. The woman said, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. The gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. How are we doing? It is a uh, a real privilege uh, to be here with you this morning. As Evan said, um, my name is Brad Baker, and uh, wow, I think I've got one fan out there. I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, My wife and I and our four kids we moved from California in July. Um, we were serving in a church there in Orange County. I, I think my, yeah, here's the picture. Uh, honey, are you, are you in the room? I would love for you to stand up. I'd love to. She's not, she didn't. Oh, okay, over there. Okay, stand. There's my wife. Thank you. Um, my wife's so sweet. She bought me a new shirt just for this morning. So I, 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 I'm, re- I'm ready to go. So, um, so we're, we're great. We're still in transition um, as far as moving to, back to Colorado. I actually grew up in Denver. And so this is coming home for me. Um, but for my wife and my kids, it's all completely new. And uh, this, is, this is a really surreal feeling because, um, as Evan mentioned, Glenn and I went to school together. And I can't tell you how many times we would sit up late at night in our dorm rooms kind of dreaming, like, what if one day you and I actually got to minister alongside of each other? And uh, we, when we would talk over the phone, of course, you know, thousands of miles between us, we would still kind of revisit that. I wonder if God would ever do that. And so here I am um, this morning um, in Glenn's absence, you know, preaching on, on his behalf. And it's just, uh, it's just an incredible feeling. I took Glenn to the airport uh, last Sunday. And as we were driving, he had two big concerns. These are, these are huge. The first one was, am I going to be able to watch the New York Giants and the Broncos play on my flight? He, he had researched it all and said they offer direct TV on the flight. He's like, I just don't know if it's live sports. And he was sweating just thinking about not being able to watch the game on his flight. 
And the second thing is he said, he said, Brad, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to let you speak. Um, he goes, because they might never want me back. And I was like, Glenn, do you honestly think the smart people, the intelligent people of New Life would accept the less attractive, less intelligent, less articulate white version of you? I was like, no, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not going to happen. You just, you're you're going to go, have fun, no worries. The Broncos won and you guys are going to accept Glenn back, especially after hearing my message this morning. So... Um, before we get started, um, I want to pray again and just ask that God would make our hearts uh, the right kind of place to receive from Him, um, that our hearts would be soft and open to whatever it is that He wants to, to speak to us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, again, we, uh, we welcome you, and we ask that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying, that you would open our hearts to you. God, we we can feel okay about being vulnerable to you because we know that you have this thing, that you are this thing called perfect love, unending love. And so we just open ourselves. Help us to make ourselves vulnerable to you this morning and to hear what you want to say. We pray in your holy name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, um, I had a, a moment in my life um, that I'm still trying to wrap my brain around. Um, my parents, who live up in the Lafayette, Louisville area, had come down to visit and welcome us to Colorado. And we were sitting down um, having a meal together, and my mom looked over at me and she said, Son, um, later today, will you shave my head? And I, I, I kind of paused, and um, my mom is battling uh, stage 4 cancer. And uh, I, I hesitated at her question because it just wasn't, was one of those questions you never think that you're going to ever get asked um, by your mom to shave your head. And I said, of course. And uh, there we were later that day um, in, our, in our bathroom. She had a little folding chair and uh, I'm shaving her head. And the hair, her blonde hair is falling, falling down off her shoulders and, and tears are just streaming down our faces. And uh, she looked up and said, it's, it's not the hair. She said, it's just it's hair. She said, it's, it's the loss of certainty of what the next year is going to look like for me and for us and for, for this. And uh, I was struck in that moment by, by many things, but one of the feelings that hit me was how easy it is for me, for us, for all of us, to take life for granted, to, to kind of coast through, through life, to not live with a sense of, urgency and gratitude in our hearts. And sometimes it takes a crisis or some unexpected curveball for us to kind of stop and go, oh my goodness, like this life that I've been given by God is a gift and it's precious and it's something to be cherished and it's something to just be fully engaged in, engaged with others, engaged with God. But I, I, think, I think you can all relate that, that that often isn't the case with us. We, we plug into our routines, you know, we punch the clock and we know, where, we know where we get our coffee in the morning. We know the route we'll take. If, if we hit traffic, we have five other alternative routes already in our brain. We know where we're going to sit in the office, who we're going to talk to, who we're not going to talk to at the office. We have our routines set and established. And as a result, there are so many things in our lives that are left undone, unresolved, unprocessed through. 
because of our sense of, yeah, we're just kind of going through our life like it's any other day. And this is particular, particularly true in the area of our personal lives that need attention. We can, we can rock along for sometimes years on end, never attending to things in our personal life that desperately need attention. And it, it does. It, it typically takes, again, some sort of crisis to wake us up to the fact that we need to engage God and others different than we are at the moment. And if you're, if you're anything like me, you've gotten really good at sort of going through life and sweeping certain things under the rug. Just sort of pretending they're not there and skipping through life going, oh yeah, it'll, it'll figure itself out. In the meantime, because of areas in us that we haven't attended to, we are causing drama and relational pain in a lot of different areas around us, in a lot of the relationships, and, and often the ones closest to us suffer the most if we're not attending to the areas in ourselves. I mean, this is kind of ironic because we as a people love to evaluate, don't we? We love to evaluate our bosses. We love to evaluate the churches we attend or visit. We love to evaluate the sports teams that we watch. I mean, we, we listen to sports talk radio, and we, I mean, we can analyze the Broncos' play with the best of them. I mean, we, we just love this idea of scrutinizing things. We, we love to scrutinize technology. Well, what do, we, what do you have? Oh, I've got the, you know, the e- Evo. And, oh, you're not an Apple user. Okay, well, let, let's talk about the differences there. Anybody get the brand new iPhone, perchance? Anybody camp out? Don't be ashamed. There, there are no Apple snobs at downtown. Nobody camped out. I'm so, oh, well, okay, one, thank you. I was about to say, I'm so relieved there are no Apple snobs. And then you, I said, oh, okay, we're grateful for you. You believe in technology. But don't we love to even evaluate technology and say, look at this thing. But you know what? The irony of this is we despise evaluating ourselves. Because it's so painful sometimes to look in the mirror or to to feel exposed at some level. We we despise this so much that when we're in a friendship or relationship that reveals things about us that we don't like to see, we've figured out a way to sort of slowly inch ourselves away from that person because they're revealing something in us that we don't want to face about ourselves. And I'm so grateful that Jesus steps right into the middle of this tendency of ours. And he invites us to engage him, to engage others, and to engage ourselves in a totally different way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Part of that truth is, of course, ultimately the truth of who he is. That should be our focus. But it's also the truth of who we are. This idea is actually at the core of the gospel that we would be exposed for who we are so that in turn we realize that we need the cross, that we desperately need the completed work of Jesus on the cross. And although it doesn't feel loving when God exposes us, it's one of the most loving things that he can do. Because in exposing us, he's offering us this hand. And he's saying, come, 
I want to invite you further and deeper into the life that I've created you to live. And to do that, I had to expose part of you that was, a, that was going to lead to some dead ends at best. Maybe a few train wrecks. Maybe a few broken relationships. And Jesus says, come. Don't be afraid. My exposure of you is a loving thing. It's not, a, it's not an embarrassing moment. of <laughs> Look at you. You're not God. I'm God. You're not. You're weak. I'm strong. <laughs> no, no. God lovingly exposes us. And our gospel reading this morning is exhibit A. In this regard, we read this in John 4, starting in verse 16. Jesus told her, this is the woman at the well, if you're familiar, go and bring your husband. The woman answered, I don't have a husband. That's right, Jesus replied, you're telling the truth. You don't have a husband You have already been married five times. And the man you are living with now isn't your husband. The woman said, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Now, at first read, for me at least, I go, go, Jesus, you're meeting this Samaritan woman. One, you're you're a rabbi and and you, you, you shouldn't really be addressing Women in public, that's a cultural no-no. Two, she's a Samaritan, which, which Jews and Samaritans, it's kind of like Raiders friends, fans and Broncos fans. Like, they just, you don't talk to each other, right? Jesus is crossing all the signs. And then three, Jesus, in your interaction with her, you expose this part of her life that was probably a source of great shame for her. Go, go get your husband, as if he didn't already know the, how, how it was going to play out. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. I mean, that was her way of sort of like, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, well, actually, you know, you've been married five times, and the one you're living with now, you're just living with him. He's not even your husband. Someone's like, you're a prophet, because that's not stuff that I want to bring out into the open, right? Why would Jesus do that? He's inviting her to something new. He's inviting her in, out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom that he's creating. It's beautiful. We see this over and over and over again with his disciples and the people that he met, the rich young ruler, right? What did he do with the rich young ruler? He exposed that that his highest allegiance was to money and that this idea of following Jesus was a nice concept in his brain, but there's no way he could give up what he valued and what he worshipped was money. And Jesus exposed that. Why? He said, come on, come out of that. Come into the kingdom of God and out of the kingdom that's been created by the world. It's beautiful. And the same Jesus that exposed people when he walked the earth in human form is doing the same thing today if we'd let him. He wants to come into our lives and show us those areas in our life that we're ashamed of, that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to deal with. And he says, that place That's the area in your life that I want my love, my healing, my kingdom to saturate. See, we're a little uncomfortable with this idea that the kingdom of God is meant to saturate the very fabric of who we are. We'd rather have certain areas. I mean, I'm speaking from from myself here. We'd rather have certain areas that we're like, look, Jesus, this area over here, I'll just take care of it. 
I got, I've got this part. You know, just, just let, me, <laughs> let me have this. I mean, we're left asking these questions of like, God, really, like, I'll just, I'll just sort through this one on my own. So we have a choice here. We can resist the loving exposure of God that he wants to bring into our lives, or we can work in concert with it. And it's a very counterintuitive thing because the things we've hidden, we've hidden for a good reason because we're fearful that, well, what, what, if I, what if I let God work in that area of my life or what if other people knew about that? I mean, there's a reason we've hidden those. And so it's a very counterintuitive motion to say, God, will you just shine your, your light on me? I mean, that, that, that's not something that we can like produce that desire on our own. It's literally something we say, God, make me willing to be willing that I would be willing for you to, to, to expose these parts in me that you w- want to touch. David was called the, a man after God's own heart for so many reasons. But one of them is that he learned to invite the scrutiny of God into his life. We see this, this prayer in Psalm 139. We'll start in verse 23. This is the message translation. David prays, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me. Get a clear picture of what I am about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. The NIV says it like this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me along the path of everlasting. That's a bold prayer, you know? And I think this morning, before I talk about some practical steps that that we can engage in to invite this, that's really the heart of what I feel like God wanted me to communicate this morning is simply that prayer, that we would be a people that says, God, please, I'm, I'm, I'm not living in the illusion that I can handle these shameful, broken, secret areas of my life on my own anymore. In fact, God, there's a lot in me that I'm not even aware of. There's a lot of parts of me that don't please you, that don't line up with you, that I don't even know about. In fact, some of the areas of my life, I'm actually defending them to other people. And they're areas that need to change, but I'm defending those places. And God says, will, will, you just, will you just be crazy enough? Will you be bold enough to say, God, search me, know me, expose me, God? I don't want there to be anything in my life that can hijack a relationship. I don't want there to be anything in my life that keeps me from experiencing the life that you made possible on the cross. When we push past, when we let go, when we open up, God goes, yes, thank you. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. See, there there are certain things in our lives, I know this has been true of me, that God has longed to touch in my life, but I haven't been willing or ready or even known what they were. 
And I think for some of us, God's been waiting for years. And we've been carrying this enormous burden, this enormous dysfunction in our life. And it's, it, it, it grieves us, it hurts us, it hurts people around us. And God's going, please, let me touch that, please. I'm your father, I'm the perfect father you've never, you've never known on the earth. And I want to I touch that place. Will you let me in? I'm longing. I'm longing to just bring you in, sit you down, take that pack off of your back, bring you some water and say, let my kingdom, let my power, let my healing, let my hope flow into that place, please. It's a cool picture, isn't it? Almighty God, heart full of love and grace and healing, waiting on us, longing for us to say, yeah, God, you've waited long enough. It's time. Do a work in my life. So let's talk nuts and bolts here for a minute. How do we work in concert with God to expose the areas in us that need his attention? Now, first and foremost, this is why we camped out there a long time. It starts with just this communion, this, this prayer, this conversation with God. But some other things that we can practically begin to do will really help. The first one is this. What if we prayerfully examined the imprint left by our family of origin? Now you might say, why, why, why is that important when it comes to ex- exposing things in me that need God's attention? We all grew up in a dysfunctional home. Some of us are just more in touch with that reality than others of us, right? Right? We, we know, whether, whether we're currently parents or we're about to be parents, we're delusional if we think that we didn't bring some stuff into that, that context that caused problems, right? I know as a dad of four small kids, we, Carrie and I have this joke that whenever something kind of goofy happens in our home, we go, yeah, why don't we put another quarter in the therapy jar, it's because down the road, our kids might have some things to process through, right? That's, that's, it's, we need to kind of get over the fact that, that, that our families uh, provided us with so much love and support, but also provided us with some things that weren't so perfect, that weren't God-honoring, that we need to process through. And a lot of times, because we don't want to talk about it or face it, we go through life living out, at some measure, the imprint put on us in our family of origin. And it's, again, this very difficult idea of looking back on our childhood and go, God, help me to see my upbringing through adult eyes. It's a challenging thing. And it's not so that we can point fingers at our parents and say, you failed me and you did this and you weren't, because then it's like, wait a second, we live in a glass house over here because we're, gonna, we, 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 we're the same imperfect people, right? But we say, God, what, what do you want to show me about my family of origin that's affecting how I'm relating in the present. What do you want to show me about my family of origin that's affecting the way I'm relating and connecting or not connecting in the present? I'll I'll unpack this real personal for you guys, right? In my life, Carrie, my wife, she's she's an amazing, amazing woman. She, when we first got married, she would just make little helpful suggestions about things that I would need to change. Normal stuff, you know, just normal conversations. I was so reactive. I was so sensitive 
to anything that she had to bring up constructively in my life. Whereas I should have been like, honey, like, thank you for helping me see some of these blind spots. I was like, who do you think you are? You're the problem in this relationship, not me, because I'm the golden child, right? Really, I, I, I was like, what's going on? Well, I didn't understand. She didn't understand. We, we, were, we were wrestling with this idea. And then I started to really evaluate where I'd come from. And I faced some, some sexual abuse growing up. So there was that layer. Um, I wasn't engaged like I should have been emotionally as a child. So I, I was unfamiliar with like someone coming and wanting to process through like, I'm feeling this. I was used to kind of handling things, my own emotions, on my own. So here I have this wife who's like just a stream of expression and <laughs> emotions. And I couldn't handle it. And I was hypersensitive to criticism. Partly because of, of my own brokenness, partly because of my family system, I really did grow up thinking that I was like the golden child. That I, I really, like, who could have a problem with me? I'm just great. I was so blinded to some of the things in my life that were causing disruption in the most important relationship I had. My marriage. And God had to show me, and that was part of my journey. I was looking back and going, God, help me see. Help me see my childhood as you see it. Help me understand. One exercise I did was I I wrote down the significant people and events in my life from zero to six. I did the same thing for six to 12, and the same thing from 12 to 18. So you see kind of like the the beginning years, and then your developmental years, and then your adolescence. And I I kind of... wrote these things on a sticky note and had these three columns and, and started to paste them up and I started to see what I, what I understood about my own life and where I'd come from. It was incredible. And the whole time I'm like, going, God, this is really scary because I'm looking at some stuff that I haven't thought about in a long time and this I'd rather just... And now I'm seeing it and it's an exposing feeling. The amount of health and healing that came into my life and into my relationships as a result... I go, God, thank you that you somehow gave me the grace and the courage because I didn't have it in myself to do that. It's a powerful, powerful tool. Proverbs 4, 4 through 7 says, Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. There's a price to be paid when you start looking back, right? It hurts. You may have to have some uncomfortable conversations with people God may lead you to do that, to seek resolution. But though it costs you, sometimes it feels like it costs you everything you've got to go that way, do it. Because what's on the other side of it is understanding. Understanding about who you are and who, how God wants to meet you in that place and how God wants to take you into a new place in your relationships. It's worth the price. The second thing that we can do to work in concert with God to expose areas in us that need attention, is to ask why of the sin patterns in our lives. Why? A lot of times when sin crops up in our life, we deal with it at like a symptomatic level. Like our, we tell ourselves, just stop it, self. Stop sinning. And we maybe talk to a friend and they look at us and they say, well, what are you struggling with? Well, this is what's going on. Well, stop it. Just stop doing it. And you and I both know, right? It's like trimming off the apples on the apple tree. Next time there is the seasons are right, 
the apples grow back, and you haven't dealt with the root. And when you ask why, what's this, what's, what's this fueled by, it's a game changer. Now, first and foremost, when we ask why of the sin, it's because we are broken, right? We inherited a sin nature that is, is, is in the process of being redeemed by God's work in us, but there's more. Sometimes there is layers to our sin issues. For years, I'm just going to be straight up, are you guys okay with straight up vulnerability and honesty? Is that okay? You guys mind if I just air some dirty laundry? For years, I struggled with sexual sin, pornography, and I longed, was a part of it, I longed to break free from it. I mean, I would, it would happen and I would, I would, I would weep. It wasn't like I didn't care that I was just indifferent to it. I was like, God, why can't I break free from this? What's going on? And as I told you earlier, the sexual abuse I faced growing up, I realized that there was this, and you would think it may be a no-brainer, but I never really thought about it. There was this connection between that and some of the wounds that developed in my heart around that, that, that I had been carrying my whole life. And guess what? I wasn't aware of them. So I had this broken heart. And so when, when, when another layer of pain would come on from some direction in my life, it was unbearable. And because I, hadn't, I didn't even know that I needed to let God into that place or my wife or the other people into my life to, to heal me, I would have this incredible sense of pain and where would I look to for relief? Ironically enough, something that ended up costing, causing me more pain. But it wasn't until I stopped and said, why can't, I, I love God, I, I'm in his word, I, why can't I break, what, what's going on? And I began to ask why, and it led me to this place where God started to expose, right? He said, look, look, my son, here's this area of your heart that you've been carrying around for so long that it's become normal to you, and you don't even perceive that it's there. And this is why, right? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is only his, like, laser ability to deal with us. We say, God, help me, show me, give me understanding and insight. The last thing that we can do to work in concert with God, to expose areas in us that need his attention, is this. We, we learn to submit to the prayerful examination and input of other people. There should be people in your life that you literally invite their scrutiny. Scrutiny. Now, it's, it can't be just anybody, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, speak into my life. Tell me what you see. You know, these, these people that you've developed relationship over time and you trust them, you trust their relationship with God, but, but you say to them, look, I invite you to look at my life and tell me exactly what you see. I don't want you to sugarcoat it. I don't want you to mince words. I want you to come straight at me and tell me what you see. You know, moving here, you know, leaving California where you'd lived for eight years and developed those relationships, moving, my wife and I were talking about all that would mean for our family, and we were talking about, hey, one thing that we're not going to let slide. When we get there, we're going to find those people we're going to develop those relationships. Just this week, I went out to lunch with a gentleman who's probably 15 years my senior, and I looked across the table at him, 
And I said, one, thanks for lunch. And number two, I said, I invite you to speak into my life. I invite you to coach me. I invite you, when you see me, you know, coming up over, over close to an edge, in, in any regard, will you just say, hey, Brad, you might want to be mindful that that little drop-off is like 2,000 feet. And if you fall off of it, it might hurt a little bit. I want you to be part, I want you to work in concert with God to speak hard truth in my life. Again, that's a gutsy move. When I was saying that, I'm like, do I really want this man to load both barrels and come at me full steam? Do I really want that in my life? There's something in me that goes, yeah, I need that. I really, really need that. Because why? We know from the book of Jeremiah, right, that our heart is deceitful. We love, and we're really good at lying to ourselves, about ourselves. And we need, we desperately need the work of the Lord. So here in a moment when we come to the table and we receive the communion elements together as a family, will you join me in just saying, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. You're in the business of restoring me. And part of that is us working together to identify the areas in me that need your touch, that need you, that you need your miracle. There's areas in our lives that really, short of God touching us, we're going to stay stuck in unhealthy patterns. We're going to stay stuck because there are areas in our life that we're not even aware of. Will you join me in being bold enough to pray the same prayer that David prayed and say, God, search me. Search me and know me. Think about it. If we live this way, if we allow God to do a deep work in our heart, think about the health that is right, will be right around the corner in our relationship with God, in our relationships with those that are closest to us, in the relationships that we will have with people we hadn't previously met, the strangers we meet on the street, if we're allowing God to refine us, expose us, and do the hard work in us that he longs for us to do, imagine in your mind a community of people that just said, you know what, I'm tired of just sort of going through life without a sense of urgency. I want God's fire to come in my life, and I want him to burn away the parts in me that don't belong, that aren't a part of who he created me to be. I want to be all that God made possible for me to be. Imagine it. Can you see it? Can you see the health that would come in your home, in your, in your friendships, in your marriages if you're married, in your kid's life as a result if you have kids? Imagine it. God's, God's longing, God's waiting. He's waiting for us to say, bring it, God. What you got, bring it. Bring your spotlight on me. Let's stand and we'll pray together.